Chapter 30 of Women, Children, Love, and Marriage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Women, Children, Love, and Marriage by Catherine Gasquin Hartley. Section 9 of Marriage and Other Relationships. Is Marriage Too Easy? On the subject of marriage, I have written again and again not alone in these essays, but in many of my other books. I would, however, wish to say now, and with all the power I have, that in England marriage is made too easy. If some of the restrictions which are placed against the breaking of the marriage bond were transferred to the time when the bond is made, it would be well. We prevent too late. Always we run to shut the stable door after the horse is stolen. Many amazing marriages are made in particular by the very young who today refuse, more fiercely than even before, any guidance from the old. Reckless marriages, entered into by those who have known each other for a few days only, before marrying for life. An ever-increasing freedom and independence for the young has certainly had rather a startling moral result. It has been shown that for all ordinary young men and women, intimate association with each other in college, in business, in workshops and factories, and in play, turns them with extreme readiness to love-making. Now I am very far indeed from wishing to apportion blame, but I do hold that new conditions demand not only changes in our thoughts and judgment, but revision of the laws formulated to restrict conduct. A minister of religion stated publicly not very long ago, I have had to marry many couples who admitted to me they knew little about each other. I could do nothing. I was not allowed to refuse marriage. The many marriages made in haste and under the pressure of sudden emotional urgencies are a sign of the nervous condition of the times. The customary criticisms of reason are not heard, or not until the emotional storm has subsided. This is, of course, a condition not infrequent in love, but in these rushing and exciting days of dancing partners and jazz courtships, it is greatly exaggerated. Such marriages may not, unfortunately, bear the scrutiny of minds restored to reason. Living together is found to be a different and far harder thing than dancing together. And this has led to the unprecedented demand for divorce, which should cause no surprise or lamentation, but should urge us forward to face the situation, like spurs in the flesh of a tired horse. For the disgrace is, not that these marriages should end, but that they should ever have begun. We English are too afraid of preventative interference. We wait until something is very wrong indeed, and then we punish. It would be salutary for us to consider the more careful regulations of other lands. In France, for instance, and in Belgium, no encouragement is given for hurried marriages such as we permit. Official inquiries and the consent of parents and guardians are considered necessary. From the start, the greatest care is exercised. Fiancés, engagements, are regarded as serious family events, more binding and more sacred than anything to which we are accustomed. Both the engagement and the marriage are affairs of the utmost importance to the two families concerned, as well as to the young people themselves. There are discussions and careful arrangements and months of testing of suitability for life partnership 
during which the future husband and wife get to know one another before being tied by marriage. Perhaps this is why the crime of bigamy is very rare in France, and there is no such thing known as cases for breach of promise of marriage. I know, of course, the many and great evils that are attendant on the French system, but to me it seems that these could easily be avoided as they arise entirely out of property considerations and the wife's dowry considerations, which so inevitably act disastrously on moral conduct. It would, I am certain, lessen the chance of endless unhappiness in marriage, and prevent many divorces if some more fixed inquiries with, in the case of any one, shall I say, under twenty-five, the consent of one parent of either party, if living, if not, that of a guardian, were obligatory before the marriage could be entered into. Or, if the young will not accept this parental authority, marriage could be made conditional, except under very special reasons, on the betrothal months having lasted for a fixed and sufficiently long period. At least, inquiry should be made as to the amount of knowledge the partners have gained of each other. I would recommend these reforms to all who are concerned for the future of marriage. Nor need the change be difficult, or would it entail any great alterations in the machinery of the law. We appoint a king's proctor to inquire into domestic details to prevent unsuitable marriages being broken. Why not change his duties to prevent unsuitable marriages being made? I would urge, also, that commandments of marriage are formulated to be read to every couple at their betrothal, and again before the wedding ceremony takes place, as is done to some limited extent in France and Belgium, and in one or two other countries. This is another duty which might be undertaken by the department of the king's proctor. Here, then, is a practical way in which we might wisely copy other civilizations whose customs are more carefully planned to safeguard marriage and help the young in right living. I must press home this question of the dangers of too easy marriage, though I risk wearying my readers by repetition. The facilities we give the young for marrying in haste is, I affirm again, the cause mainly responsible in the greater number of marriages that come to the disaster of the divorce courts. This I have proved already. It is responsible also for many cases of bigamy, a crime which has increased alarmingly in the last years. Our law of breaches of marriage promises, with its frequent misuse and extortion of hush money, is another cause dependent on other stupid neglect to regulate marriage. It leads to many unsuitable marriages being made, which very often have their fatal sequel of separation or divorce. Nor does the disaster end here. Our present careless laws are certainly acting to bring marriage itself to discredit. We hurry young people within its bonds, freeing them from all obligations to their families, or to society in this matter of choosing their life's partner, and then later, if disaster overtakes them, with callous irony we say, you have made your bed, you must lie on it. If we desire really to preserve marriage, let us treat marriage with seriousness. As I have said in another of these essays, marriage is not considered a vocation, it has become a game. I would urge practical and prompt action. We are, I think, bound to realize that if we are to succeed in freeing our society from the evils which all of us are deploring, our attention must shift from the attempts to punish after wrong has been done, 
to removing the causes that lead certainly to wrong being done. In other words, we have to formulate more practical and helpful laws. Even more important is to change public thought. Cleansing men and women from their desire to punish and replacing instead the desire to help and to understand. Nothing else, in my opinion, can avert even greater disasters of license in the future than those we are facing. End of chapter 30. Recording by Andrea Milliken.